corners, you know. And when fall hits, everything that we do as a church starts to open back up uh, as far as our Bible studies and all of that. So I want to make you aware of several different things. Number one, um, we do have an app. We've been kind of hitting this every single week. Make sure you download it. There's an opportunity on there also to get alerts so you can know what's happening and what is going on uh, with the church because there's so much happening. I can't. Everybody wants me to give an announcement. Everybody wants me to say something on a Sunday. uh, And I just simply, we've been just so overwhelmed with stuff. I can't give everybody the time they want. But here's a few things uh, that are going on. Uh, If my... Okay, was that the first one or did I go by two? That's the next one? That's not it. There it is. Things are happening by themselves now. Um, Hey, Awana's starting back up. If you're part of Awana... Uh, It's an awesome program. Um, Kids memorize Bible verses. So if you have a kid and you want them to come, awesome, great. But they're also in need of volunteers. So one of the things that's happened, obviously, over the last 18 months uh, is a lot of people have moved, new people have come. And if you're new and you want to start getting plugged in, now's the time. We need your help. We need volunteers. So Awana, uh, if you love kids, this is a great place to be. If you don't love kids but you want to grow and be sanctified, still a great place to be. Okay? Okay. and then uh, go to the next one. Uh, I, my clicker is obviously just not working, I guess. Can you go to the next one for me, Dan? The Well College Age Group. Any college age kids in the college age career kids here? Let's hear you. Wayne, you are not college age. Put your hand down. Goodness gracious. So this is starting up. John Drawlinger is going to be leading that. John, are you in the room by chance? Uh, stand up real quick so everyone can see you just in case they don't know who you are. John's going to be leading that. Yep. Thank you, John. Um, Financial Peace University starting. Wayne's leading this. Uh, you want to get out of debt. You want to know how to handle your finances. You got to sign up for this. Last time we did this class, we erased within our church and those who attended $300,000 worth of debt. That's pretty incredible. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, and I know most of you are probably in debt because you're grocery shopping. And uh, that's right. Eggs now cost $800 or something like that. Um, Mentoring group, Tracy Cuneo leads this, uh, but this is for gals who want to be mentors and also be mentored. Great program we've had over the years. Is Tracy in the room for this service by chance? No. Uh, and then um, what else do I have here? Oh, women's retreat coming up. Ladies, you got to, yeah, yes, can't wait to be there. Um, I, won't, I won't be there. And then a couple great Bible studies. Laura's going to be leading one on Tuesdays. My wife will be leading one uh, as well, and so uh, on Thursdays. And so, gals, if you want to jump into some Bible studies. And like I said, there is a lot that is uh, going on, a lot that is happening. Uh, so please download the app, visit the website, go to Instagram, follow us on there, follow us on Facebook, get on all the little social media things, uh, and only only follow us, follow nothing else, because there's no other benefit uh, to that. Okay? You guys ready to get in the Word? And then, hey, um, uh, is Johnny and Jordan in the room? this service? Hey, Johnny and Jordan are here from the Basque country. Uh, They're missionaries of ours. You want to stand up real quick so everyone can see who you are? Uh, We support them uh, in the Basque country, and uh, they're a tremendous couple, and they're here with us for a little while. And uh, did you just want to be in the front row, or did you want to? I won't forget that. Um, Actually, I almost did. (laughs) There's just so much on my mind this morning. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, they're going to be moving to Truckee for six months on sabbatical with us, and so that'll be coming up. You get to look forward to getting to know them. Okay, also in transition, um, 
uh, one of the things that, that obviously within the COVID world and also within, uh, you know, just years of ministry and all of that and things that happen in life, Brad and Pam, who've been ministering at our church for uh, a combined total of 60 plus years, they're moving to Texas. And this is their last Sunday uh, with us at Sierra Bible Church. And so we're going to honor them. And like I said, they're heading to Texas. But Brad has been a huge component uh, in getting our church, even before I ever was on staff uh, for the church, not to be in debt, for the finances to be handled well. He's really ensured that the funds that you give to this church are handled well, that we give as much out as we possibly can, that we're as generous as possible, but that we're also really good stewards with those funds. And, and truly, he's done an incredible job. And so I want to bring them up and, and uh, pray for them this morning. So Brad and Pam, can you guys come on up? Um, so uh, I said 60, 60 years of uh, Pam predates Wayne even. So she's been here longer than everybody else. And so God has been really gracious to her. She hasn't killed any of the lead pastors over the years. So, But we got them a gift. We, got, we gave them another gift, but we figured since they were going to Texas... We had to get them something just to send them off proper here. So, here. Y'all going to worship Jesus in Texas. It's going to be a good old time. Woo! <laughs> um, I want to invite, <laughs> I wanna invite uh, any of the elders and deacons, if you'd come up and lay hands on them and um, we would pray for them and... Uh, you guys drive off Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday. So we we had a big dinner with them with a bunch of folks, and um, yeah, we love you guys. Thankful for you. Gonna miss you. The good news is you can see me every Sunday live on YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, the good news or, is we don't. Watch it, we don't, have we don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good news is shh. I, I know. <laughs> Brutal. Let's pray for him. Lord, thank you so much for Brad and Pam. I pray they know that. We are so grateful for their years of service. Lord, as in our vision, we, we desire to glorify you, and they've done that. And they've done that well. And they've been faithful. And Lord, we pray that as they leave, they leave encouraged. They leave knowing that they're still connected to this body in every way possible. That one day we'll reunite in heaven and dine again and enjoy each other's company face to face again. But in, in the next life, Lord, without the, the, the tainting of sin, or the mar of a body that is dying, Lord, but just purely together with you. And so I pray that you bless them on the next step of their journey. May they travel safe, and may they thrive with their family in Texas, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you. You can keep the hats this time, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's get in the word. Hey, um, there is still some room at the 8.30 service, just so you, you guys are aware. This happens every, now that we're back inside. Um, but if you're willing to wake up for the glory of the Lord to create more room for the lazy folk at 10.30, we'd encourage you to do so. Okay. It's the first time I've preached two sermons in months. And uh, thankful to do it, blessed to do it, and uh, but obviously... It's always a growing experience, but it's at the same time, it's just incredible to, um, can we just say to be thankful that God has given us a church family and that we're together in this journey that is called life. And I know many of you are going through all kinds of different things, whatever those things would be, and I'm sympathetic to it. 
I mean, literally and figuratively, the world is on fire. It's lost its mind. It's not clear on what it should or shouldn't be doing. It's divided in almost every way you can think. Spoke with people in the last several weeks who were at a, tra- a, a kind of a, a crossroads on what they do. Do they take the thing? Do they not take the thing? If you know what I mean. Um, and one individual actually that I know of uh, didn't want to take the thing and they were let go. They were fired. But she was willing to lose her job over it. And so I just understand that the world around us is burning. But right here in this place, we get to experience the presence of God and his goodness and his peace that surpasses all understanding. And so as we dive into the word, let us approach the word with the understanding that God is good and that he has his church in his hands and that he will be faithful to carry us through this world to the one that we ultimately all long for. Amen? Would you stand with me as we read from Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 15 for context. And like I said, um, or I've shared before, we stand, if you don't know, because we love God's word and we are so thankful and appreciative that he has spoken to us through it. Verse 15, he, speaking of Jesus, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing over them over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. O Lord, we pray you guide us through your word this morning in such a way that it transforms our hearts, gives us the ability to live for you, maybe to be even willing to die for you. We trust you for the work you're going to do in our hearts this morning. May we be at peace and not distracted, but focused on the person that is Jesus. And it's in that name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, I was just, as I was just praying, I, I didn't mention this in the first service, but I think it's worth mentioning in this service, just because as, you know, as our culture is so divided and everybody's all over the place, uh, I, I found it fondly entertaining as well as glorious. Uh, yesterday, I took my family to the rodeo, and in the opening of the rodeo, uh, the commentator said, would you please join me in a non-denominational prayer? Right? Let, let's, you know, let's appease everyone. So I figured the prayer would be kind of generic. And, uh, and in the prayer, he mentioned the need we have for the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he closed by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ. I prayed, I thought, oh, all right. That's why Brad and Pam are moving to Texas. <laughs> um, 
The title of the message this morning is Trapped or Free. Let me frame it this way with a question. What kind of things over the last season have made you feel trapped? What kind of things are you trapped in? And are you experiencing a real freedom that does come from Christ? Now, some of these trappings could be the societal things that is being pressed upon you or encouraged, encouraged to, be, to be done or to live a certain way, but it can also be habitual sin in your own life, things that you struggle with. The Bible actually literally tells us uh, that sin indwells within us. It's not a popular thing to state, but the reality is, is that we're broken uh, from the moment of birth. David said, my mother conceived me in iniquity. That we're all born with a brokenness inside of, of us, a, a fracturedness that, that keeps us from God. And if we're really brutally honest, keeps us from actually even choosing God or seeking God. The Bible says no one seeks after God, not one. Not one is good. For all have sinned, right? Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have this indwelling sin that sometimes entraps us. Now, as Christians, we know that Jesus has freed us from the sin. And this is basically what Paul has been sharing is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The supremacy of Jesus Christ is good enough. We need nothing else. We need just Jesus in the gospel. That Jesus alone is sufficient. But even though that's the case, we know that because of indwelling sin, when we're born again, we still have this kind of flesh nature in us. And therefore, all of us have these kind of little sins or big sins that we know that we probably struggle with. I don't need to tell you what they are. My guess is you already know them. It's easy to pick on the ones that, that are very easy to see, whether that's lust or whether it's drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever else we might want to call the sin. But we also have little attitudes of sin as well, don't we? I mean, I would dare to say that, that uh, over the last year, some of you have been fearful, but the Bible's commandment is for us not to be fearful. The habitual sin of fear, the habitual sin of anxiety, the habitual sin of a lack of even maybe compassion. I think all of us have probably been guilty of that to some degree over the last 18 months, yeah? Maybe the guilt uh, or the sin of God, are you really here? Are you really doing anything? You see, remember what's happened in the book of Colossians is the pastor of Colossae has traveled to go see Paul, who's in prison for his faith. And he's come and told Paul, listen, the church is you know, pretty much doing well. It's been born. It's growing. People are coming. However, however, they're, they're, they're kind of embracing ideologies, philosophies, mysticism, spiritualism that is coming from the outside of the culture. So remember the tension of what's actually happening within the church, right? The Jews, many of the Jews, are becoming Christians. They're realizing that Jesus is the Messiah. However, they've come with a whole list of traditions. They've come with a whole list of things that they have basically have been told their entire lives. You have to do these things to appease God and to keep God happy with you. You have to keep certain festivals, as the text just said. You have to eat certain food, as the text just said. But then at the same time, you had these Gentiles getting saved. You had Romans getting saved. And they had no such traditions, right? They could eat whatever they want. They could do whatever they want. And all of a sudden, basically what is occurring in the church is, is uh, there's a Jewish guy walking around the aisles and just saying, listen, if you really want to love God, you can't eat pork. You can't have bacon. You, you can't eat lobster. You can't have shellfish. Don't eat these things. And so Paul is coming in and he's basically saying, listen, you're allowing certain things to come into the church that are actually going to divide the church. And these things will cause division. The church must be focused not on these things that cause division, but rather the church should be focused on the thing that completely unifies us, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So again, the entire text of Colossians is the sufficiency, the goodness of Jesus. Basically what was happening in the church is people were saying the gospel is too simplistic. And so you had several things that were creeping into the church. Some of them maybe even have crept in our church as well. There's the legalist, right? Let me give you my headings. These are traps. This is point number one. Traps. Traps in the church, things that can trap us and not cause freedom. And we're going to talk about Christ's head. That'll be point two. And then from flesh to freedom, that'll be point three. So what are these traps? Inviting in the wrong kind of spirits in your life. This is the language that Paul uses when he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's not talking about government authority. In fact, some of the Jews completely rejected Jesus as the Messiah because they figured Jesus would come as the Messiah and overthrow the evil Roman government. They figured the Messiah will come, he's going to rule with authority, he's going to wipe out the Roman government, and he's going to free his people. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross, they thought there's no way this guy could be the Messiah. So he's not speaking of the Roman government in verse 15, he's actually speaking of the rulers and the authorities that exist in the spiritual realm. These are demons. This is the demonic realm. C.S. Lewis says we fall into two kind of errors as Christians. One error is to blame the devil on everything, right? You sneeze, it's Satan. Right? And the other is to ignore that he exists altogether. Both are errors. He exists. The Bible teaches he exists. And one of the ways that he's speaking of with these moons and these Sabbaths and these festivals is he's saying you can actually attach yourself to a type of spirit that will make you a legalist. What is a legalist? Someone that wants to get God's favor through human achievement by treating biblical standards of conduct and regulation to be kept by your own power that you'd earn that favor of God. Another way to say it is legalism will be present wherever a person is trying to be ethical in his own strength. That is without relying on a merciful, without relying on the merciful help of God in Christ. So what Paul is addressing within the church, he's saying, listen, if you observe certain rituals, if you observe certain days, if you observe certain diets, this is not going to earn you favor with God. The whole message really could have been this morning focused on what's called issues of conscience. One of the things that I know 100% true, 100% fact, there's no arguing around it, don't even try, is that one of the ways that the devil knows that he can destroy Christianity and destroy you is to isolate you, separate you, and divide you. To get you to be divided. Right? And, And trust me, over the last 18 months, I have had my share of individuals say, If we do church in this new season, we do it this way. If we do church in the new season, we do it this way. If we do church in this season, we do it this No. Absolutely not. Because if you decide in this season to take the thing or not take the thing, to wear the thing or to not wear the thing, which you all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just not saying it so on YouTube it doesn't get flagged and then taken down. All those things, 100%, 100% are used by Satan to divide his people. And what Paul is saying is you can't let these things divide you. That's legalism. You, you can't think that you're better than somebody if you eat lobster and then if you don't. But he also says don't cause someone else to stumble. Love your brother. In Galatians 5.1 he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying legalism thinking that you have to live a certain way and eat certain things and do certain things that does not make you more righteous. 
All of you are familiar with the term virtue signaling, yeah? We have a group of individuals. Hopefully you're not one of them. If I choose to do this thing, I'm better than you, and I actually love people. You know, how many times have, have you been accused of or has someone accused you of or said, you know what, you just want to, you, you're killing people. You can't do that. You don't love people. And then I'm over here arguing on the other side of the coin of saying, we gather because we do love people. Because we know that certain individuals should have the inherent God-given right to choose whether they die of COVID or whether they die of loneliness and depression. Right? We know that for some of you, you would rather die of COVID than to die of isolation and loneliness. Both are a kind of death. And we as individuals get to say whether it's worth it or not. And it's, it's, it, it's great to kind of see it's sad and it's heartbreaking. And you look at what's happening in Afghanistan and you go, oh my gosh, God, where are you in the midst of it? And then in the midst of Afghanistan, in the midst of its trouble, the church has come out and said, we will gather and we will die. That's the church of Afghanistan that loves Jesus Christ. American church, we'll gather, unless I'm skiing. We'll gather unless I'm mountain climbing. We'll gather un unless there's a game on. Right? What's going to happen to the American church if, and I shouldn't even say if, but when, the culture in the world starts to suffocate you? Are you going to be able to stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and say it's worth it? To me, I'm at that place, obviously, as the face of, of the church, even though Jesus is the true face, is the one that is leading the church, I have to fully understand that every decision that we make in this season, that I will pay that price, and so will my family. So legalism. The church can't be divided on such matters that the Bible doesn't simply speak on. We know what sin is and what sin isn't. The Bible's really clear. But on other issues, it's an issue of conscience, and the Bible says you must be convinced in your own mind. You must be convinced in your own mind. You know what else was happening in the church? There was a kind of mysticism. It, really what mysticism at its root, if you, if you look at it, is mysticism is, is looking for truth internally through contemplation. What mysticism really like, puts all of its eggs in, its basket, is its feelings and its intuition and it's sensations. What I feel is what I should do. Have you ever heard, heard someone say, well, what should I do? And you, just follow your heart. And the Bible says, your heart is deceitfully wicked. No one can even know it. And you got a bunch of people like, dude, just follow your heart. It's like, no, that's the worst thing you could do. Your heart will kill you. Okay, your emotions will lead you in the wrong spot. Don't follow your heart. Follow the truth. Follow the truth of God. Now, that doesn't mean emotions are bad. They're not. They're good. God gave them to us. But he didn't give them to us for us to be led by those emotions. That's what the word of God is for. That's what this truth is for. This is the anchor that holds us down in the sea of the craziness of life. The worst thing someone can argue, especially when they're talking theology or doctrine, is, well, this is what I feel inside. I don't care what you feel inside. I care what God says. You can feel something is really, really concrete that doesn't make it right. In addition to that, there was also the idea of asceticism that was creeping into the church a kind of self-abasement to gain righteousness. Materialism is bad, therefore we must go into an area of self-denial and just beat our bodies up, don't eat certain things. It's just, again, just like, I'm just going to grind it out. Paul also mentions the idea of angels as well. 
Now, what's interesting about the worship of angels is it can be taken several different ways. One is the worship of different spirits. So in the church, these things are kind of creeping in. We're going to worship angels. And, and the way they worshiped angels, by the way, was through the stars. And Paul kind of mentions this idea of the stars and angels. And the thinking was that the stars that they saw in the heavens were actually angels. And if we worship those angels, well, we would get more connected with God, more connected with spirituality. And so there was a blending of this kind of spirituality, which is really interesting. Because really what Paul is saying is don't, don't blend, don't bleed your, your astrology into the gospel. Now, back in the day, it said that most of the people, especially in the Old Testament, had a, a very grand idea of the stars. In fact, there's a great book written out of San Diego. I don't know if, it's, if it still can be found, but it's called The Gospel, God, the gospel in the Stars. And it's laid out in such a way that if you look at the astrology, you can actually see the gospel is in the stars. And, and Virgo is literally, her heel is stepping on the scorpion. And there's some weird translation stuff of the scorpion and the snake. And I'm not the expert. But just so you know, uh, back in the day, Magi, that's how they knew Jesus was coming. They were looking in the stars. At the same time, though, men began to kind of twist it and tweak it. And they began to worship the stars and to worship those kind of things. And so Paul's saying, don't mix Jesus with that stuff. Don't mix Jesus with visions, he says. I think a good way to say that is just don't trust pastors who get up and say, well, God told me to tell you to do this. Right? God told me, Margo, that you've got to go sell everything that you have. He told me. Now go do it. Because the power and authority is given to that pastor to then rule over people. The only thing, again, that should rule over people is Jesus Christ alone. And I remember a gal came to me several years back, way before I was married, and she came to me and said, Jesse, Jesus spoke to me and said, you're going to marry so-and-so. Well, there was a problem. I wasn't attracted to so-and-so. And I told her to go away, right? <clears throat> Here's the other one. Visions, but he also says in the text, verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Notice again, Paul's attaching him to spiritual things, demonic things. And he says the element things, the kind of basic things, simple things, the oversimplification. What, what this is, is certain ideologies and philosophies that exist in the world. Certain ideologies and philosophies that exist in the world. Uh, I've recently been listening to quite a bit of Vadi Bachman uh, and strongly encourage reading his book called Fault Lines. Uh, it's also free and audible. If you're not familiar with Vadi, he is an African-American male who uh, is a tremendous pastor, great guy, and uh, grew up in the ghetto without a father. And he's been one of the main advocates in speaking out against uh, what Black Lives Matter stand for, critical race theory, and what it stands for. And it's easy to think, right? If you notice, I, I have to tie it in so you understand why I'm mentioning what I'm mentioning. Look at what Paul says uh, at the end of that particular verse. Please look at the text here in verse 22. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Human precepts and teachings, right? Ideologies, philosophies. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Not gospel religion, but self-made religion. Now, what exists in our day now is this thing that, that, that anytime you attach the gospel to anything, let's just say it this way, anything, anytime you attach the gospel to anything, you have manipulated the gospel. Okay, a pastor back in the day wrote a book called Jesus, 
Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is Paul's argument. Don't attach the gospel to anything. And so you've had over the years things like the prosperity gospel. right? In order to have the full gospel, you have to attach it to the word prosperity. And if you have the full gospel, if you really understand the full gospel, you'll be prosperous. Right? You'll have money, you'll have things, and you'll just feel really good in life, right? If, if we were attached to the prosperity gospel, all of us have whatever it is that we long for and desire because God loves us so much, he's all loving, he just wants to make sure you feel awesome all the time. That's prosperity gospel. On the other side of that, you've even had some pastors come out and say, actually, the gospel is not the prosperity gospel, it's the poverty gospel. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, and so we shouldn't either. We need to give up everything. We should live on the streets. We should be homeless. We should give up it all. That, that's still attaching to the gospel. Now you have, in our day and age, the social gospel. Social justice. As one pastor has said before me, much wiser, much smarter, justice doesn't need an adjective. God is concerned with justice. And what happens in our culture, especially in this day and age, is we go, wait a minute, I don't want to be racist, and I know black lives matter, and so I'm going to adopt that ideology. And, and oh, by the way, it's on the NBA, and it's on the NFL, and it's celebrities are talking about it. It must be a good thing. And now we're no longer really worshiping Jesus, but rather we're taking our ideology not from angels, but, you know, from whatever NBA star, LeBron James or what have you, is telling you this is what you should do, this is what you should think. And what Paul is ultimately saying with these ideologies and these teachings, if you blend them with the gospel, you have no gospel at all. You see, what happens within the idea of social justice and within the critical race theory that now exists is it wants to turn certain individuals either into oppressors or the oppressed. There's only two, two categories of people. You're either an oppressor, and oh, by the way, bad news for this room, if you're white, you know what you are. You're the oppressor. And if you're of any other minority, you're the oppressed. You know why that's a problem and why there is no social gospel and there really is no social, should not be any social justice? This is why. All of you have been oppressed. Every single one of you were born in total depravity. Satan hates you and wants to destroy you. Everyone's oppressed. Here's the other side of that. Every one of you are oppressors. Every single one of you are oppressors. You have sinned. You've thought you were better than anyone. At times, you've put yourself number one. If not habitually, you've put yourself as number one. You see, all of these other ideologies want to put you into these different categories, but the Bible says, guess what? All of you are in the same category. You're all sinners in need of a Savior. Guess what? If you're African-American, you need to ask for forgiveness just as much as the white person does, and so on and so forth. Right, so Paul's saying these ideologies, it doesn't matter whether it's mysticism and you're all kind of angelic and everything is awesome all the time, I'm following my emotions, or if it's these ideologies that, oh, I need the social gospel or I don't have the gospel at all, that's not the reality. The reality is, is these things are created to divide the church and to destroy the church. The church has to be unified under one banner, the simplicity that Jesus is sufficient for all of mankind. That's what unifies us. Paul wants us to know as he says in the text, don't be intimidated by these people or their teachings. Don't let them persuade you. The Bible's emphasizing in this particular text that these things are demonic and that you can invite demonic influence into your life by even playing with these things. 
And I'm just giving you a little taste of it. Again, uh, Fault Lines will do a much better job than I ever will. Uh, it's actually free on Audible if I didn't say that already. You can invite these things in by playing with them. You can invite them in with habitual sin. You can obviously invite them in with any kind of addiction. And what's their end game? The end game of these things, whether it's habitual sin or if it's inviting different ideologies in, is to take the place of Jesus, to enslave and deceive you, and to make you operate and live in fear. It's to make you fearful. Right? We, we have to understand that the culture wants you to be filled with anxiety so you respond not in truth but through your emotion. And you start to see people as the enemy. And so Paul gives us a partial solution here. Well, that's, it's not a partial solution. It's a full solution and then a partial solution. So this is point number two. Paul says the ultimate solution in, to this, and one of the reasons that the church is kind of falling into uh, these heresies is because they're not holding on to the head of Jesus. The, the head of the church, he says, is Jesus Christ. And we're tied to that church with its ligaments, all of its other little things. You probably look at as the, the correct doctrines or the apostles or our church fathers that were connected through the head. You have the foundation through the apostles and the prophets. And then we, we are the body of Christ. And when we look to the head of Jesus, what happens is we recognize no one else has any other power other than Jesus. So the world comes along and says, oh my gosh, there's this horrible social ill. We need to come up with some kind of adjective that's going to fix it all. You know what? If we just put CRT, critical race theory, into the school, we'll fix our kids. This is embracing ideologies, right? The church has to be what the church has always been called to do. The only solution to mankind's ills is the gospel. You're a sinner in need of saving. And the only need for salvation is need. Yeah, but, no, yeah, but. That's not a Jewish word in the Bible. We know that, right? Yeah, but. Paul is saying, listen, listen, church, listen, Colossians, get rid of all this mixture stuff. Throw it out. It's not going to help you. The only thing that's going to help you is the head. He has the power. He's more powerful than angels. He's more powerful than visions. He's more powerful than ideologies. And oh, by the way, he's not a far-off star to be worshipped. He abides in you. He's right here and right now. One author, actually out of Africa, um, if you can go to the... <laughs> that's a stupid clicker. In Jesus' name. Uh, what? Can you, Dan, could you uh, do me a favor and go to um, the one that says Jesus Christ is the conqueror? And then we'll go into those. Uh, this is actually out of Africa, um, and it's a song. And in Africa, they obviously deal with a lot of these kind of things that are mentioned in here. But he, he says this in the song. Jesus Christ is the conqueror. By his resurrection, he overcame death itself. By his re resurrection, he overcame all things. He overcame magic. He overcame amulets and charms. He overcame the darkness of the demon possession. He overcame dread, and when we are with him, we are also conquerors. Jesus is bigger than all of those things. And Paul tells us the only way that a Christian grows out of habitual sin and out of slavery is by understanding he is the head, and then we grow from there. Did you feel stuck in your relationship with Christ? 
We're going to get to that a little bit more here in a moment. But it's only through the head of Jesus that causes growth. It's not asceticism. It's not self-denial. It's not you saying, if I do these things, I will grow. It's you be, becoming totally dependent on the head that is Jesus. So what's happened in the last 18 months, there have been individuals who started coming to church over the last 18 months just to tell Gavin Newsom they don't like him. Okay, I'm glad you got through the door, but that's just the beginning. Right? That coming to church doesn't save you. We have individuals and this has been true throughout all of church history, who are like, I've got to go to church and I've got to start worshiping Jesus because obviously the Antichrist is coming. In fact, that's what the vaccine is. It's the mark of the beast, right? And so if I do these things and if I'm not worshiping the Lord, uh, there's going to be people raptured and I'm going to be left behind and I'm going to have to deal with this whole tribulation thing. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared. I better get back to church. That's not how one gets saved. Jesus didn't come to save you from hell. He came to have a relationship with you. The byproduct of that is being saved from hell. Don't come to church to say, oh, stick it to you, Gavin Newsom. Come to church because I want Jesus. I want him to be my head. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my God. I want him to be my Savior. I actually want to know him. I want to hear from him. I want to worship him. I want to sit with him. I want to be with him. That's how you grow. That's how you're saved. No one gets saved by going, well, I better, I better, I better start talking to God or I'm going to burn forever. You better start talking to God because God wants a relationship with you. He loves you and he has found you valuable so much so that he died on the cross for your sins that you would have an intimate relationship with him. And oh, by the way, when we become Christians, the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, we literally receive the mind of Christ. Because that we have this mind of Christ, no one can pass judgment on us. No one can disqualify us. Jesus is our only hope for spiritual growth. We don't live under law anymore. We live under the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's point two. There are things in this world that will entrap you. Even as Christians, you can be trapped by adopting false ideologies, by mixing the gospel with anything other than Jesus. I don't know if this is an encouragement to you, but it is an encouragement to me. This thing is a heck of a lot more simplistic than you think it is. It's not all about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about walking with the head that is Christ. Go to the end of chapter 2 for my third and last remarks here. Verse 23, chapter 2. These ideologies, these traps, these things, he says, they indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity of the body, but here's the part I want to focus on next. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's just, just so you know, he's just saying, okay, all these ideologies, all these visions, all this angel stuff, and mixing in astrology with the gospel, just so you know, they look like they can have benefit, but there's no power in them. The only power is in Christ. So now that we know that we're saved by grace and grace alone, and we desire as Christians to live according to the gospel in such a way that frees us from habitual sin, how do we defeat habitual sin? Now, first of all, you, you, there is no hope of defeating any kind of sin, let alone habitual sin or habitual false ideologies. There is no hope outside of the head of Christ. 
So let's just understand that. You, you cannot make this thing work without a relationship with Jesus. You cannot. In, in fact, there's only, the, really, the only thing that makes us different than the rest of the culture is that because we have Christ in us, we have the ability to say no to sin. We finally can say no to the habit, no to the ugly thing, no to the thing that is destroying us, whereas before, we just were carried about by our own intuition and our own thinking and our own logic and, our, and that leads to our own destruction, yeah? So what stops this indwelling habitual sin, this sin that the Bible says deceives, that it desires us, that it wants to destroy us, that it wants to take us down and entangle us and entrap us. One of the greatest theologians to speak on this is a man by the name of John Owen. A great reformer wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. Uh, literally, it, it, the whole book is how do you destroy these little habitual sins or large sins that are in your life? And uh, we normally carry a, an abridged version in the bookstore, uh, but if you don't like to read, that's okay. I'm about to give you a survey of the book here. This is what John Owen says. The first thing you have to do to defeat the habitual sin is you have to learn to hate it. This is what Owen says. Bring thy lust to the gospel, not for relief, but for further conviction of its guilt. Look on him whom thou hast pierced and be in bitterness. Say to thy soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Have I obtained a view of God's fatherly countenance that I might behold his face and provoke him to his face? Owen says when we bring our sin to the gospel, we don't go to, to just have Jesus relieve us of our guilt and shame. Owen actually goes even deeper. He drives so hard home. He says, he says sometimes even as Christians, we don't, we don't come to Jesus with our sins because, because we, we uh, love him and, and because we know we've harmed him, but rather we only come and confess so we can be relieved of its guilt. What he's saying is the motivation's off. One is just free me from feeling this way. The other one is I've done something wrong and I really truly want change because I know that this particular sin is one of the many and multitude of sins that have caused you to hang on the cross. So Lord, I come to you that you would teach me to hate this sin and to not want this sin. So then he goes into point number two, you have to hate it, but then he says now the next step is you have to starve it a type of what theologians call a diet of the mind. Or as James would say, resist the devil, he will flee from you. How do you do that? How do you starve sin? Well, you don't do the things, obviously, that cause you to sin. You stay away from the areas in which will cause you to want to sin. Right? If you're an alcoholic, you probably shouldn't hang out at the pastime club. Amen? Well, I'm going to go down there and evangelize. No, you're not. Go somewhere else. But the other thing that you do is you read the word, you sing the word, and you be, you be thankful. You feed on the word of God, singing the word of God with gratitude. What does that look like? Okay, when was the last time you woke up in the morning and you just sang thankfulness? I mean, come on, let's, let's do a little bit of spiritual soul work here, folks. My guess is over the last 18 months, Let's, let's do it this way. I guarantee you, most of us in this room in the last 18 months have thought about moving out of California. Who's thought, who's thought about it? I didn't say you're going to do it. Who's thought about it? Oh, you're, that's about half the room or so, but some of you are lying. 
You're lying. You don't want to admit it because you know where I'm going to go. Right? It's easy to get up and go, you know what? This is what's wrong with California. It's the laws. It's the mandates. It's the pushing. It's the frustration. It's all of these different things. It's so liberal. It's so this. It's so that. And so I'm going to get out of the area where I can be free and I can finally educate my kids and I can do the things that I want to do and I can live the life that I've always wanted to live. Here's the problem with that. Number one, you bring your sin with you and the devil happens to be the same place there as he is here. Okay, it's not the solution. And so what happens in our minds as we fall into this habitual kind of sin is we're actually practicing ingratitude. We're not singing God's word. We're not waking up and saying, Lord, thank you. I mean, what the church needs more than anything else in a culture that is filled with ingratitude, filled with fear, filled with anxiety, filled with just get me to a better place is a church that says, you know what? I'm here because God called me here. And I'm going to glorify God just as Paul did, whether it's in prison, whether it's being shipwrecked, whether it's in California, whether it's in Nevada, whether it's in Florida. It doesn't matter where it is. I'm going to glorify God. And the way that I do that to starve my sin is to feed on the goodness of God because the Bible says that the will of God is for you to be thankful. Jesus, thank you that somehow, someway, in God's own, own little providence and grace, he said, you know what, I'm going to plant this, this church right here in the Tahoe Basin to be a beacon of hope where people continue to gather, continue to worship, and continue to know that God is good. Thank you, Jesus, we have a church. Thank you, Jesus, we have a church that is thriving. Thank you, Jesus, that I have a wife. Thank you, Jesus, that I have kids. Thank you, Jesus, that I have clothing. Thank you that I got COVID and I've overcome COVID. Thank you, Lord, that I have my health for its time being. But more than anything, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that I have you. Thank you that, that you live in me, that you are, are working in me to your good and your pleasure. Thank you that you have my back. Thank you that you've promised me eternity. Thank you that you've given me your Holy Spirit, that I can live in a world that hates me. How much have we practiced gratitude? We have to pour ourselves back and to thank you, Jesus, 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 thank you, Jesus. Are you depressed and downcast? You are a complainer. So starve it by feeding it with gratitude. He also goes on and says, call sin what it is. Don't rename it something. Don't sugarcoat it. Name it what it is and then mortify it. Kill it. Lay the axe at its root. Stop doing that thing. Owen says again, <clears throat> sin seeks to sin to the uttermost. So hate wants to become murder. Lust wants to become adultery. Envy wants oppression. Self-reliance wants self-worship. This is what would happen if we did not mortify sin. Unmortified sin creates a mind obsessed with satisfying that sin. Put the sin to death. But the good news in the gospel it says you were buried with Christ, you were also raised with Christ. So the last point and the final point is the positive point that we would vivify, Owen says. That we would come alive in Christ. It's what the Bible says, take off the old man, put on the new man. Desire new affections, cultivate for new affections. Read things that will encourage your heart and strengthen your dependence upon the Lord and your dependence upon God's grace, not your goodness, not your good acts, not the worship of weird things, but dependence upon God. And if at the very least you cry out that God would give you a new heart and a new desire. I mean, sometimes that's the best prayer that you can pray. Lord, my heart's not there yet. Change it. 
Right? When, when, when we have matured as Christians and we've grown into the head, we recognize and we say, say, Jesus, help me see my sin. You know, when you don't understand the gospel, that's scary. But when you do understand it, you know that when God exposes your sin, it's an invitation and an open door to step into God's grace. When you confess that sin, he's not there at the door going, I'm so disappointed, I knew you would do it. No, he's not dismayed. He lets us know nothing has overcome man that's not common. The same struggles for that person in the past are the same today, the same, for, same forevermore. We all struggle with the same kind of things. Jesus understands that. That's why he died on the cross. That's why, again, we, we go back to the simplicity of the gospel. If the door is open, we walk through the door, we confess our sins, and Jesus is standing there with his arms open wide and a smile on his face. And if you don't picture Jesus that way, you've got the wrong Jesus, at least if you're a child of God. He, when you pray, do you see him smiling? When you pray, do you see him just moved with compassion? That's the Jesus of the gospel. The invitation to come, to come alive and to be changed. Because as a child of God, you're no longer under his wrath, but now you're free. Amen? And we as a church need to continue to not allow the world and its ideologies to suck us in, but to be completely reliant upon the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So way before COVID, we used to do this kind of next step saying just something to close with, to give you something to think about, to pray about, and to maybe take with you, uh, especially during the week. I just want you to ask the question, what ways in the past maybe several days, maybe the week, maybe the month, maybe, maybe the last 18 months, what ways have you relied on anything other than the power of Christ? Second one, what sins and lifestyles are God calling you to mortify and put to death? What ideologies, what thinking, maybe it's ingratitude. What are those things that God's saying, it's time to just go ahead and let's, let's kill those things. Let's get rid of them. And then number three, the vivify point. Make a daily effort to rise each morning with gratitude that the power of God is yours in Christ Jesus. Imagine what your life would look like if you ended and started your day with that. Thank you for the power I have in Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us in the gospel. I pray that your love, your goodness, your mercy, your satisfaction would fall upon us in such a way that we would live for you as we should. That we would not be in fear. That we would not mix our gospel with other things. That we would be unified because of the reality that we're all sinners in need of a Savior and you're the Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us in Christ. We worship you now with gratitude and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.